time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. There's something you do every day that it happens automatically, but it's also something that you have control if you choose to. If you don't want to think about it, it'll happen. It'll go on. If you want to think about it, you can change the pattern. So what is that? Well, it's your breathing. It's something that has interested me for years. And today I have a special guest. James Nestor is the author of the upcoming book, Breath. And Breath is the book that you need to go ahead and grab. You need to pre-order that because it is an outstanding book on how powerful it is when we're mindful of how we're breathing. Now, James is an author and a journalist, and he's written for Outside Magazine, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Scientific American, Men's Journal, National Public Radio, Surfer's Journal, Dwell Magazine, on and on. He's also written the book Deep, which was uh, my place where I started connecting with him because he was talking about the people who deep dive, who stay down underwater at, at huge depths for minutes at a time. And they can only do that because of their breath. And that led him to start thinking about this breathing thing. And so he explores this long history of humans and how our evolution and how our changes in our body have influenced how we breathe and how, more than anything, we've gotten out of the habit of breathing in ways that are most beneficial for us. So James is coming back to that. He brings us back in his book, Breath, on how you can breathe better to help your health, to help your calm, to help so many different parts of your life. And today, in our conversation, we're going to cover five basic pieces, call them the low-hanging fruit of how you can breathe better. I'm going to explore several different areas with James about how he experimented on himself to discover these pieces. But we're also going to talk practically about the things you can do right now. As we're talking, you'll be able to experiment for yourself and try these things out and see what effect it has. It's transformed how I think about my breathing, and I was already a student of breath. So I think it will be a great resource for you, even if this is the first time you've had a thought about how you might be able to change your breathing. But even if you've walked with me through some of my other pieces on breathing, this is going to change how you think about it and how you can find the best help through breathing and how you might find some extra calm in the midst of all the chaos that we're living in right now. So let's go to my discussion with James Nestor. James, I am so glad to have you on. I'm pretty excited about this because I've had a chance to read uh, the early copy of your upcoming book, Breath, and uh, I've loved it. So I'm really excited to talk with you, especially at this point. Uh, We're talking about something that happens automatically, but there's something magical about when we pay more attention to it. So um, I want to get into that. But before we get there, I would love to hear a little bit about how you got to, to hear, how you got to Breath. Sure. Um, A number of years ago, I was sent by Outside Magazine to cover something called the World Freediving Championship, which is a very weird sport in which competitors challenge one another to see how deep they can dive and come back to the surface conscious. Mm -hmm. Now, if that sounds crazy, it's because it is. It is. (laughs) But what, what I learned from these people was that The only way to hold your breath for four minutes, five minutes, six minutes at a time was to really master the art of breathing properly. And they told me that breathing could not only benefit 
your free diving allow you to dive to incredible depths to 300, 400 feet, but it could also help you in the terrestrial world where the rest of us exist. And they explained that breathing in different ways could help you control your weight, could control anxiety, it could control concentration, blood pressure, on and on and on. And all of this sounded pretty crazy to me mm. until I spent a number of years digging up the research and working with various scientists and finding that what they told me was ended up being completely true. In fact, you, uh, we can talk some about this, but you, you uh, pretty much wrecked your life by <laughs> changing your breathing pattern and uh, then came back from that, which uh, if you could just talk a little bit about that experiment, because I think it's uh, such an eye-opening, just a slight change in how you were breathing made all the difference. Sure. Um, so the common held belief in a lot of medical circles as it was for the past 50 years, as it is today, is that how we breathe really doesn't matter. You breathe 20 times a minute, 30 times a minute, five times a minute, through the nose, mouth, breathing tube, doesn't matter. The point was to get air into your bodies, and our bodies will do the rest. Well, if you look at all of the thousands of years of ancient texts, they say breathing through the nose is absolutely vital for health and happiness and longevity. And you can't breathe through the mouth or it will bring on disease and a bunch of other chronic problems. So I thought, well, it'd be interesting to put this to the test and see how true that really was <laughs> and see how quickly the damage, the alleged damage from mouth breathing would come on. So I worked with a, uh, the chief of rhinology research at Stanford and he plugged my nose for 10 days. And, um, and another person was in the experiment. So we had two people. We could compare data sets that way. And then we only breathed out of our mouths for, for 10 days and tried to live our normal lives. And then for the next phase of the experiment, we only breathed out of our noses for 10 days. And we compared data sets and took blood markers and every imaginable measure, PFTs, CAT scans, all that stuff. And what we found is that mouth breathing is so much more injurious than I had even thought it was. And I knew it was going to be pretty bad. Within a single day, um, I started snoring. My snoring went up 1,000%. Within two days, it went up 4,000%. I got sleep apnea. I got anxious. I lost energy. I mean, I could go on and on through this laundry list of, of bummers. Um, and the, the most amazing thing about this was that the day we switched our breathing from our mouths to our noses, all of that snoring went away. All of the sleep apnea went away. All of the problems that we had developed in just 10 days reversed. So uh, this is something I don't think a lot of people realize because upwards of 50% of the population breathes through their mouth. And uh, that can cause and contribute to so many chronic problems. And so the first step in any healthy breathing would be to definitely breathe through the nose all the time. Yeah, that, it was so shocking to see that it was just that one day. And, you know, I think a lot of us go, oh, gosh, you know, when I have a cold or when I have allergies, then I'm going to breathe through my mouth. And, and the reality was, as, as I was reading through, um, the more you do that, the more you breathe through your mouth. It, it becomes a, a kind of a repetitive cycle that you're actually... Uh, causing uh, more difficulty breathing through your nose when you're breathing through your mouth. That's exactly right. There are anatomical changes that occur 
when you breathe through your mouth over extended periods of time, which make it harder to breathe through your nose. So it's really a use it or lose it principle. And this was made very clear by uh, another researcher at Stanford who had looked at people who had had laryngectomies where they have a little hole uh, drilled in their throats because they weren't able to get air in otherwise. And she found that from two between two months to two years, all of these people, their noses completely blocked up, 100%. So it just shows you, if the less you use your nose, the less you're going to be able to use your nose. So uh, this is an analogy that uh, Dr. Nyack, the chief rhinologist, mentioned to me. He's like, if a sink is plugged in your house, you're going to find a way of clearing it very quickly. And the nose has to be considered the same way. Hmm. You, you don't want to be breathing out of it. Yeah. Okay. So we have rule number one, which is uh, nose breathing, not good. Uh, or I'm sorry, mouth breathing. Good. Not good. Yeah. Yes. Mouth nose breathing, breathing. Very bad. Uh, much preferred. <laughs> which is interesting because um, I, I I have done a lot of work with breathing um, over the years, and your book was the first one that made that crystal clear to me. So I've been very intentional <laughs> about mm-hmm. breathing through my nose since then, and it really can tell a difference in the calmness and everything else. So I'll just tell you quickly. How, how I got interested in breathing, uh, it was by accident. Um, when I was a chaplain uh, in the hospital, they would call me in when somebody was anxious. And uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, often call to the emergency room with somebody having an anxiety attack. And so I would get them to breathe diaphragmatically and just kind of slow down. I, but I, I wasn't aware that I was making them slow down their breathing. I was just trying to make them take deep breaths and they calmed down. And so they called me in uh, to a patient one night that was restless and so, you know, anxiety. So I went in and the guy's oxygen, no matter what they did, he was on pure oxygen delivered through his nose, but he wasn't breathing through his nose. Now looking back on that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so his oxygen saturation was, you know, it was down in the low eighties and they're like, we don't mm-hmm. know what to do. We can't get it up. Can you calm him down? So I got him to start breathing and to slow it down. I asked him to breathe through his nose. And I was also hoping, you know, get a little oxygen in there. And he started breathing diaphragmatically. I had to show him how to do it. You know, just kind of breathe down here, not up here kind of thing. And the nurses were kind of watching as just the, just doing that, the oxygen level just started going up. Hmm. And I thought, okay, he's just calming down. But now looking back, I'm realizing that there was something else going on, which was that we were switching how he was breathing and absorbing. So that was my first kind of touch with that. And what, one of the things, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, two things happen. It's, it's not only will slow breathing allow you to oxygenate your, your blood more, more efficiently, allow your tissues to gain more energy from each inhale, but you're also increasing your oxygenation by around 18% just by breathing through your nose because of nitric oxide. Um, and, and a few other elements, but, but it's mostly nitric oxide has to do with that. So, so those two things, slow breathing and through your nose can, can be absolutely transformative from a physical and a mental standpoint. So when, since you brought that up, can you talk a little bit about how important nitric oxide is? Because I, I think that is something that, um, I heard, uh, Laird Hamilton talking about nose breathing for nitric oxide a while back. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that happened. But a lot of people don't know exactly what that does in your body. What, what does it do? Sure. This is a, a molecule that plays an essential role in increasing circulation and delivering O2 to our cells. There are some researchers who believe we've got a three 
gas system. It's not only about oxygen and carbon dioxide. Nitric oxide has to be included in that for us to be able to, to function properly. They're actually starting to administer nitric oxide to people who are recovering from, from COVID-19 right now. Mm. So it plays a role in immune function, weight, circulation, mood, sexual function, on and on and on. And this is something that, that I discovered, which I thought was very weird and interesting, but the drug Viagra works by releasing more nitric oxide in the bloodstream. So you can do this naturally by breathing through your nose. And if you want to increase your nitric oxide, which is a very good thing to do, you can hum. Simply humming will increase nitric oxide about 15-fold in your sinuses. So that's, that's, I guess that would be number two, is, is hum, breathe through your nose, and, and hum on occasion. And does the, do you have to hum a certain, I mean, does it matter what you hum or just hum? You can only hum the top 10. <laughs> um, and then you have to pay royalties to ASCAP. That's, that's the problem. No, you, can, you can hum anything. You can hum Dixie. You can hum any, anything you want. Anything you want. It does not matter, the frequency. So I'm cu- kind of curious on what you think. Um, for instance, um, you know, in meditation, they've done the OM, which is a hum. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, lots of other meditations. Is that basically getting to that, that point? Oh, absolutely. And so many of those practices have been around for thousands and thousands of years because they work, because they're doing something. And I I find it so interesting that, you know, just in the past few decades of a little bit of scientific research into those practices, we're finding, wow, who would have known? Who would have guessed these things that have been practiced by millions and millions of people are actually affecting our bodies and minds in some really profound ways. In fact, in your book, you talk about the different um, kind of prayer or meditation practices. You point out several of them that all have a common timing issue to them. Can you talk some about the the timing? Sure. In um, about 2001, Luciano Bernardi and some researchers at the University of Pavia in Italy took a bunch of subjects and had them recite the famous Buddhist mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum. And then they had them recite the Latin version of the rosary, the prayer cycle of of Ave Maria. And they found that the amount of time it takes to speak either of those phrases was identical to the amount of time it took to inhale. So, So what that means is it takes about five and a half to six seconds to recite well, you know, either uh, the Buddhist mantra or, or the rosary. And it takes about five and a half seconds, six seconds to inhale, to get ready um, to, to do it all over again, because you repeat these things over and over. They also found the same pattern in Hindu, Taoist, Native American cultures as well. They all seem to share the same pattern um, in their prayers, which induced a certain breathing pattern, which is that five and a half seconds, six seconds in five and a half seconds or six seconds out. And so they put sensors all over these subjects and they measured what was happening in their brains and bodies when they practiced this. And they found that heart rate, circulation, nervous system, everything became coordinated to work at peak efficiency. What I mean by that is all of those systems were able to function with least effort to do the most. Whenever the subjects went back to talking spontaneously or talking about other stuff, all of that that sync that uh, synchron that synchronous motion between their systems 
all of that fell apart and became very erratic. So you don't have to, you know, speak the Buddhist mantra or, or speak the rosary to do this. You can simply breathe in for five and a half seconds and breathe out for five and a half seconds. And to do this as often as possible is very, very good for your body. So one of the things I did after I read that is I, I went to the app store and got a breathing app that let me set the time. And I had to set it for 5.5 inhale, 5.5 XL. You won't be surprised to know that's not a natural setting on yeah. that. But I set it for that. And then I had to pat, I think I had to put a like a 0.3 pause on each end because, you know, it to, just to keep me from having to instantly inhale, exhale, which is mm-hmm. a slight pause. And then I set a timer for it. And uh, it's very interesting to feel how calming that is just, just following it. It just gives, you know, the closing and opening circle. Um, and mm-hmm. so that timing certainly made a difference for me. If, if somebody isn't um, uh, practicing breathing, what if that feels too long? I'm sorry, Lee, you just broke up there. Yeah, what, the what if that time, let's say somebody is, uh, is not used to working on their breathing um, mm-hmm. and the, the, the time seems too long. What- sure, okay. And, and this is something that, that I've heard of, a few of my friends even complain about. So uh, the, the point is to, to start out at a pace that is comfortable for you. This should never feel trying or, or like some, some hard task you don't want to do. If three seconds in and three seconds out feels good, go for that. If you can extend the exhale a little more, that's even better. That will calm you down. And then you can work up to, to six seconds um, in and out. And uh, something that I've done, I have a blood pressure because I have all these uh, different gizmos around my office. But I put a blood pressure cuff on if I'm feeling really stressed. I take my blood pressure and then I breathe this way. With, with the same phone app, there's a zillion apps that can do this. And about five minutes later, I'll take my blood pressure again. And I've seen my blood pressure go down 10, 15 points simply by breathing. And I'll be, I'll be working on emails. I won't be sitting in a dark room meditating. But simply by breathing this way puts all the systems in the body in a state of coherence in which they just function at the right exact level that they want to function. Hmm. And all of that is, uh, I mean, it's just not, not just a calming influence on one part. It actually has a bodily response that you're talking about. I mean, lowering your blood pressure isn't just because it calms you down a little bit. There is a biochemical response going on throughout that process. Of, of course, because when, when you inhale, blood rushes into the thoracic cavity. And when you exhale, all that blood shoots back out. So if you're breathing very quickly and, and up into the chest, you're making your heart work harder and harder and harder to take care of all that circulation. What you want to do is take these longer, deeper breaths so that your lungs can participate in the act of circulating your blood. So that so that can release that pressure. And that's what so much of this breathing does. It lessens the burden on the heart, which is what you want to do. You don't want to make your imagine like a, a car being at a stoplight, right? And being in neutral and just revving the engine, but not going anywhere. That's mm. what's happening when you're really stressing out and your heart is beating faster and faster, but that blood pressure is just starting to build up. So so those longer and lower breaths are going to be much more beneficial to you. So it's interesting as I'm uh, thinking through all this breathing that, uh, first of all, you, you talk in the book about the anatomical changes that have happened to humans that um, make breathing a bit more of a challenge to us. 
but it also strikes me that somewhere along the way, we um, started breathing in ways that weren't so beneficial, that we lost track of natural breathing. What do you think that's about? How did, how did we get to the place where we don't naturally just breathe in the five and a half second intervals and diaphragmatically and all of that? I think a lot of it had to do with industrialization um, that really started booting up, you know, about 400, 300, 400 years ago. And at that point, if you think about it, we went from living in nature um, to living in cities where the air was smoggy, where you're wearing corsets, where you're wearing belts, where you're wearing all of these clothes that inhibit even the, the natural biological process of, of breathing in a healthy and slow way. So the more plugged up you get, the more you breathe through your mouth. The more you breathe through your mouth, the higher your breathing rate is, is normally going to, going to become. And, and some of this, you know, we have to blame as evolution. A lot of people think that things only evolve to make um, an animal better, but that is not true. So things, things of evolution means change and our heads have changed over the past 300,000 years, um, mostly for the worse, which is why humans are the only species on the planet to have chronically crooked teeth. And we're among the only species who snore and have sleep apnea. So these things aren't normal. They weren't a part of who we were until relatively recently. So we've become very, very poor breathers compared to other animals. But luckily, having the knowledge, we're able to fix that and to change our bodies and to change our minds by simply changing our breathing. It is interesting. I, I was, as I was reading through, you were talking about how we uh, humans are one of the few species that also have a tendency to choke, that we don't, you know, when we're eating, we, we have a risk of choking, which also as a handoff meant that we could talk. That's right. Our, our larynxes shrank about 40,000 years ago. And many anthropologists believe that allowed us to share in this wider range of vocalizations in which we could enunciate and have more nuance to what we were saying. Communication evolved, complex communication evolved from that. But the downfall, the, 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 the you know, dark side of that mm -hmm. is that having a lower larynx also allows us to choke much more easily, especially mm -hmm. compared to other animals. And we did not have that lowered larynx before. So this is, it's, it's also contributed to sleep apnea, which is such a huge problem in our country and, and throughout the world and has deleterious effects on the health, um, serious effects. So just to, I want to wrap around for a second. You mm -hmm. talked about sleep apnea, and if people are not familiar with that, sleep apnea is when you actually stop breathing in the middle of the night. And when it gets severe enough, uh, actually causes a lot of damage to your body. And so, um, James, what you said was one night of plug nose, you know, through that experiment, you were experiencing sleep apnea. You were not, you, you, your breathing was stopping at points during the night. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, and that's exactly right. So if you think about, um, you can look at your dog or look at other animals. Have you ever seen those animals sleeping with their mouths open? Yeah, no. Gaping open? It doesn't happen. Uh, and, and so humans do that all the time. And by simply sleeping with our mouths open, we're changing our, the structure at the back of our throats because we don't have that pressure. We don't have that vacuum from breathing in through your nose. It's, you know, at least twice or three times 
um, harder to do that. So it creates a, a vacuum and creates pressure that pushes those soft tissues to the back of your throat. The more you breathe out of your mouth, those soft tissues come forward. So at night, you start choking on yourself, which is exactly what started happening to me. And um, a sleep apnea is recorded by how many times your blood oxygen goes down below a certain level. It's like 85%. And that's bad news. If your blood O2 is going down to 80, 85%, that's not enough oxygen in your body to support vital functions. And eventually things start breaking down. So, so yeah, one, one night of sleeping with forced mouth breathing and I started having sleep apnea for the first time in that I was ever aware of. Hmm. Um, and it all cleared up the night I stopped. So, yeah, amazing. And, and which, uh, again, we're not saying that uh, if you've got an issue that you suddenly can reverse everything, but it certainly is worth, I mean, here's the thing about breathing. It's free. <laughs> it's, there's no side effects to trying a different way. Uh, there certainly could be some side effects of trying what we're talking about, the you know, mouth breathing, obviously, but there's no risk of trying something different. And I, I guess that's one of the things that I really found intriguing about breathing. It is the one part of our sympathetic, parasympathetic system that we can actually choose to control. I mean, we don't have to, but we certainly can take that over. For sure. You think about all your other organs, your, your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your stomach. You can't choose when you want to digest or what your liver is doing, what your heart is doing. But by choosing how you breathe, you can influence all the functions of all of those organs. And so much of that is controlled by your nervous system. And your nervous system responds directly to how you breathe. So mm. you can purposely make yourself really stressed out and anxious if you want by breathing really fast. Or you can make yourself extremely calm and relaxed by breathing very slow and very deeply. Yeah, so, it's got, and, you've got the built-in braking or accelerating system that you don't recognize. That's exactly right. And both of them have their benefits when, when it's time, you know, when it's time to go, when, when you really need to ramp up and do something, you can use breathing to put your body into that state. At the same time, you can also use breathing to mellow yourself out mm. and relax. And it's important to know that we have that power over our bodies. We're not just its passengers, we're its pilots as well. And we can do this by breathing correctly. One of the things that kind of interested me about breathing recently is I, I've, I've been doing jujitsu for about two years, mm -hmm. and I'm always um, a little surprised by how many of my opponents I have to say, you need to breathe. You know, they, it's, they hold their breath. And uh, one of the things that I always was practicing from the beginning was breathing just because of my own history and background. But it's amazing to me how many people were trying to, you know, all out fight, holding their breath. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's an interesting instinct not to be breathing. Um, and I, I, I haven't made, made sense of that. I wonder if you see that. Well, what happens when, when we get scared? <gasps> mm -hmm. You immediately hold your breath. And, you know, that was, a, I, I believe, an uh, evolutionary defensive mechanism to be very quiet if you're being hunted, mm. right? But we start to do that all the time. And anxious people especially will constantly be holding their breath because they're very scared because there's this unconscious system that's booting up in our bodies to 
prepare us for whatever situation is out there. So I've, I've certainly noticed this myself as, as well. I've been in boxing classes or surfing. And whenever things get really tense, I notice I start tensing up and holding my breath. Um, that's the last thing you should be doing. You yeah. should be breathing more at those times. It's, it's hard because it's unconscious. But if you start becoming aware of it, just like the people in your class, it's such an important thing because then you start feeling that in yourself and you can correct it the next time. Yeah. One of the things I've often said, you know, we were sitting there rolling and they're, they're like, you're not even breathing heavy. And I look at them and go, you're not even breathing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> There's a correlation there. <laughs> well, well, not breathing heavy is a good thing to, to really stay in, the, in, in control. You know, we want to breathe at exactly our, our metabolic needs if we can. And oftentimes we breathe way too much than our body needs, which just forces it to work way too hard to do too little. Which, so the, the, which is the other piece I wanted to kind of bring in here. I jumped, I jumped it. I jumped no, no, it's great. You, you open it up because uh, you, you and your buddy were uh, testing uh, breathing too much. He, he believes in the CO2 being higher, which, you know, I think most of us are uh, thinking that carbon dioxide, we need to get that out of our system. Yeah. And his thing was, no, you need that in there. And so your practice, the running in the park was about breathing less. Can you talk some about that? Sure. I mean, we, we've been taught to, to believe that CO2 is a very bad thing. We want it out of our bodies. We want it out of the atmosphere. It's the stuff that comes out of coal plants and rotten fruit and all that. And for the most part, a lot of that is true. But we do not always need less CO2 out of our bodies. In some cases, we need more of it. We will benefit from having much more CO2 in our bodies because CO2 allows us to process oxygen more easily. And I know that this is so counterintuitive and it gets extremely technical. And mm. It took me years to figure this out. But scientists have been saying this for over a century, that it's a balance of oxygen and CO2 that is so vital to function normally and healthily. And the way that you can boost CO2 and to also keep oxygen up is to breathe less and to breathe slowly. And this is such an important thing because if right now I'm breathing 50 times a minute, just <sighs> I'm going to, my oxygen sats will probably be 98%. If I slow my breathing to six times a minute, guess what? My oxygen remains at around 98%. <laughs> so, but I'm allowing more CO2 to enter into my body to keep it there, which will allow circulation to increase and will allow oxygenation of tissues and muscles and organs um, to happen more efficiently than otherwise. And, and so you go to any gym and you see people, their mouths are open, they're on a treadmill, they think, man, I got this half an hour today. I'm just going to bring it. I'm going to exhale and inhale as hard as I possibly can. They're not doing their bodies any favors. Hmm. Actually, if they want to burn more fat, they're going to breathe slowly and they're going to breathe less. And that's something that I did a pretty deep dive in the book because it's so counterintuitive to what we've been taught. That, that was the one, you know, so I'm reading it. I, I, um, I find points in the day when I can read something. So I re had read some and I'm going out and I'm so proud of myself on my morning walk, but my dog and I walk about five miles in the morning. And so I'm so proud of myself because, you know, I go, okay, I'm only going to breathe through my nose. So I'm doing that. 
And I, I read that and I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm breathing so deeply through my nose on that walk. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to breathe less in that. So just, it was, how, how can you do that? I mean, what's a good way to walk into breathing less since most of us have gotten used to breathing a lot more? Deeply is good. So by breathing through your nose, you're going to be breathing air deeper into your lungs. And that's where most of the oxygen exchange happens is at the bottom of the lungs because blood is gravity dependent. So breathing deeply is good. By slowing your breathing, you will instinctually be breathing less. Mm. So so uh, and I'll just give you one example. So mm. we did these several studies on these stationary bikes where I was hooked up to all these stupid machines. I had a <laughs> pulse oximeter on my finger, you know, a blood blood sugar um uh, uh, for, for diabetes to, to check out my blood sugar and calculate that on my arm. We had all these other masks and stuff on. So usually when you're on a bike and you're really cranking away, you can breathe up to maybe 50 times a minute. So we did this test where we said, let's just breathe six times a minute while we're cranking as hard as we possibly can. Because I was curious to see how much oxygen I was going to be losing. Everyone knows if you're exercising really hard, you feel like you're not getting enough air. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I'm going crazy. I'm going claustrophobic. So by breathing at six, at a rate of six breaths a minute, my oxygen did not change from breathing 50 times a minute. So it just, it just goes, but my CO2 went up. So it allowed me to do a lot less with a lot more. My heart rate stayed very low. So I was able to exert all of this additional energy without expending more energy from, from my body. So uh, I, if, that, if that makes any sense. By my heart rate being lower, I was able to do more and go further than I would otherwise. There's also, I, I don't want to get into the technical parts of this, but there are two different ways of, of burning calories, you know, anaerobically and aerobically. And so by, by allowing your body to breathe less and to keep that constant flow of, of oxygen in, we will be burning aerobically, which is the real key to if you want to burn fat, if you want to exercise smart, is to stay in that aerobic zone, not mm-hmm. the anaerobic. And if I do a quick calculation, when you say six breaths a minute, if you use that basically five and a half second inhale, exhale, you're at a 10 second round, which is six times a minute. Exactly. It's easy. You, you really only need to, to remember, you know, the number six or 5.5 if you want to be really technical. So that's 5.5 in, 5.5 out. That's 5.5 a minute. So. And what do you, uh, I guess what it sounded like is you were, you, know, you, you talked about some of the uh, older research from the people who had some really um, brutal ways of breathing less which most people aren't going to want to do. But I think you were pointing to the fact that we have gotten used to low levels of CO2, which can make it feel like you're breathless. Is that, is that fair? That's exactly right. Yeah. That, so that suffocating need to breathe that we experience is not from oxygen. It is from CO2. Mm-hmm. And so this is really another thing I had a real hard time to get my head around. So. Uh, the, what triggers the need to breathe is the CO2 level. So if you're used to having very low CO2, you're going to feel like you need to breathe all the time. If you're used to flexing that and 
having higher levels of CO2, you're going to naturally feel satisfied by breathing less. And that's the real key to get yourself to a state where you're not, you know, don't have uh, stupid instruments on your body. You're at the gym. You're just naturally, your body is attuned to breathing less. And by less, I mean breathing in line with your metabolic needs. For the vast majority of us, that means less. Yeah, it, it, my understanding is our brain doesn't really recognize when we're low on oxygen. It registers when we're high on carbon dioxide. Is that hundred percent? Right. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Which is where to wrap around to your first book. Uh, you know, when they pass out, they've run out of oxygen, but they had decreased their CO two load so much that <laughs> they had cheated their system. That's that's right, and and free divers are, and so don't try this at home. That's exactly, right. just just a big big caveat on that. Um, or don't try it in water. <laughs> yeah, don't try it in water. Don't. You know, and and again, I'm just mentioning things that have worked for me. That the more thorough explanations from actual scientists, actual doctors are are in the book. And and when I say, and this is something that that I just want to um, jump in on that that you had mentioned, which I think is so important. This stuff should not feel like a bunch of stressful work. So I went to the extremes of breathing mm-hmm. because I was curious to what it was going to do to my body and brain. But for the vast majority of people, this should feel very nurturing, very organic, and something that you want to do and keep doing because it feels great. And again, it's free to everyone anywhere to use these methods. So that brings me to James, why I wanted you on. I was, um, when I first saw your stuff and and actually heard you on another podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the time to have this because Mm. we're living in a stressed out time right now with the pandemic and and people are are really feeling the stress. And so this was, you know, so I was not wanting to find a way of making people go, oh my gosh, I'm breathing wrong. What's wrong with me as much as to say, here are some better ways that might bring some more health to your system. And some calm. Uh, and so we've, we've kind of laid out a few breadcrumbs. I would love it if we can kind of go back through a few of those. And then maybe you talk about some of your, um, what you do to, to use those. Mm-hmm. So the first one uh, we talked about is the importance of uh, breathing through your nose, um, which if you have not been doing that, may be a bit of a challenge, but mm-hmm. something to work into. Uh, the second thing we talked about was breathing slower. Mm-hmm. And uh, those two are kind of the linchpins. We just talked about breathing less. So that might be the one that feels a little more awkward at this point. But what else would you add to that list for people to easily start um, working on as a way of finding some better calm and actually maybe even just tapping a little bit to the power of their breath? I think one of the most important things to add to this is to engage your diaphragm. And the way that you do that is you breathe slowly. We already know that one, but you breathe deeply. So many people, including myself, so many people I know, we only engage a fraction of our diaphragms, which means we're breathing very shallow just into the chest. By lengthening those exhales, by lengthening those inhales, we're able to engage the diaphragm and let it do so much of the work that the heart would be doing Otherwise, um, this is going to allow you to to process that oxygen with each inhale much more efficiently. 
It's going to lighten up the load on the other systems in your body to breathe. And it's going to put you into a much more calm state. And so, so many, like, and then this is something that a researcher in the 1950s found with people who had emphysema, is they had lost the ability to take a deep breath. And the only way to really help them recover was to have them exhale completely so that they could inhale completely. Mm. And by simply changing their breathing, this guy did, Carl Stau is his name, did what nobody else, no other medicines could do. And he helped rehabilitate hundreds and hundreds of these people simply by helping them to engage their diaphragm. So I would definitely add that to the, uh, the top five list. So when we're talking about that deep breathing, we're talking about really getting that belly involved, the diaphragm being way down there. And uh, one of the things I have suggested for people for years is to figure that out is to lie down. You know, a lot of people are mm-hmm. sitting up and they're, whenever you're sitting up, you're already crunching your diaphragm a bit. But when you're lying down, it's easy just to see, you know, how do you breathe so that your belly button is what's going up and down, not your chest going in and out. It's a, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, this should never feel like if someone's practicing these methods, it shouldn't be like, okay, now I'm going to breathe deep. And I'm going to breathe less. And here mm-hmm. we go. I mean, this it should be a very relaxed movement. And let your body calmly and softly adjust to these new movements until they become unconscious. Because that's the real goal of this. It's not to sit down and to do this five minutes a day. It's to condition your body to breathe this way all the time. And I have seen people absolutely transformed by simply changing their breathing habits. And there's a century of research supporting this. In fact, when I was reading, you know, I'm, I'm noticing how many people talk about their asthma these days. Um, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been hearing it for years now, but the, some of the, um, you call them pulmonauts, um, <laughs> that are out there who are, are, have built their lives on helping people with their breathing, that their treatment of asthma, which has always included steroids, and really, as I've watched it, people trying to breathe deeply, that they could find a different way of breathing that was less um, and, and have a better outcome without, any, um, without the medicine being the driver of that, which I find to be a very interesting counterintuitive piece of this whole process. It's worked wonderful for, for a number of people. And again, I'm not prescribing anything to asthmatics or, right. or anyone else otherwise. But uh, because I'm a reporter and I had no objective <laughs> going, going into this world, I really, I didn't know any of this stuff until, until I researched, spent years researching it. But what I discovered is for the past 60, 70 years, people have been, certain people have been treating asthma um, as, as a breathing problem. Not so much an inflammation problem, even though it is, and I understand that. But asthmatics traditionally breathe way more than anyone else. And you can bring on an asthma attack by simply over-breathing. So it seems to, to be very reasonable to me to try to control your breathing and to breathe less. And in numerous studies, and they're all available in the book and elsewhere, you can look online and find these. When people increase their CO2 by breathing less, breathing slowly, many times their symptoms of their asthma are greatly reduced. In some cases, and I've talked to these people, people who have had asthma for 50, 60 years, they have no more symptoms of this anymore. But please do your own research 
do not stop using your bronchodilators. Those are, those are very good. But um, in, in the research that I've done, I've seen this discovered, forgotten, discovered again, forgotten over and over and over. And now we're having another moment in which people are looking at the connections between how we breathe and asthma severity. Yeah, these are actually bringing more tools in, not telling you to get rid of other tools. To, Absolutely, are, yes. Op- opportunities to try. So I'm, I'm wondering, so we've now we have, uh, if there are other pieces, because we've talked about uh, nasal breathing, nose breathing. Uh, we've talked mm-hmm. about slower breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, maybe breathing less. So, mm-hmm. and I think the slow breathing kind of brings that in naturally. Are there any other big pieces that are kind of like the low-hanging fruit that you would suggest for people? Those would be the ones that I would start with. And that's, that's going to be plenty for people who aren't used to focusing on their breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who, who are accustomed to doing that and who exercise a lot and do yoga or whatever, that's when I get into it the, towards the end of the book, the last third of the book, are other much more intensive breathing exercises that can be extremely helpful for people who aren't responding to the slower and less and exhaling breathing exercises. And what I mean by that is, is exercises like Sudarshan Kriya, uh, Tumo, the Wim Hof method. Mm-hmm. Talk to numerous people who have effectively cured themselves of autoimmune diseases by changing the way they breathe and exposure to cold. And I know this sounds really crazy, but uh, feel free to look it up on online. Um, these breathing methods are being studied, real universities, real institutions, and they're finding that they have a real and significant effect on the way that the body functions. And, and that really is a part of why I thought it was so important to have you on, James, because you're not coming on as kind of the um, the guru of breathing as much as the guy who went, yeah, I didn't know, and I started this research. It, it, that's that's a whole different perspective. You're sharing from a place of walking in going, I have no idea. Let's let's see what this is about. And that has a lot of power to it. Well, that's that's my job as a journalist is to go into worlds I don't understand and try to figure them out and then come back out and explain them in a very objective way. And, and I and I hope I've I've done that. And I just I do not want to become a, a breathing therapist. There's so many people <laughs> who do that in a in in such a wonderful way. But I wanted to present something without any bias and say, here's here's what I learned over these years talking to these people and then experiencing this stuff for myself. Here's what the data says. And you can take that and you can believe it. Or you can take it and disagree, and that's that's fine. There's 600 references at the at the back of the book. You can make draw your own conclusions, but I, I think that that's what we need, especially nowadays. You know, so much of what we're hearing is from one bias standpoint or the other, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to have something clear and steady and balanced to to help people out. And I had no idea that this book was going to end up um, the the way it, it became, and I had no idea I was going to be meeting so many people who have been so profoundly affected by just changing the way in which they breathe. Which is what I found so, um, so cool about the book. I mean, at first your, your writing, I love your writing. Uh, it's very conversational, very easy to read. Um, and it also has you in it. Uh, you know, it's, you're not, you're not doing just the research out there. And so by the way, um, 
for listeners, this is me saying you need to pre-order this book because it's really good. But um, you tell the story of how you went through this. And uh, and it wasn't a, from starting from a, I've got this secret knowledge I'm going to share. It was, hey, let's let's see what this is about. You fly all over the place to find this out. You put yourself in all kinds of interesting experiments and wires and contraptions to test it out which is where um, I find it to be the most helpful um, because it's, it's easily re- relatable, but powerful for somebody. How many times do people breathe in a day typically? I mean, what's the range? About 25,000. Yeah, 25,000 opportunities to test this out <laughs> in a day, right? So um, a few times uh, might be worth the effort uh, given uh, those guidelines we've talked about. Um, James, I'm going to uh, link to your book um, and to your website uh, in the show notes so people can find it. But um, is there any other place you would like people to come take a look at things? I'm right now going to be putting up a bunch of videos with people demonstrating each of these methods that anyone anywhere can can go to my website, mrjamesnester.com, and you can look at those. We've you know had a little hiccup in production because of the the pandemic. So we're trying to get up those, get, get those up as soon as possible. Um, but, but beyond that, you know, it, again, it's, we take in 30 pounds of air into our bodies and, and out ev- every day, much more than food and water. Mm-hmm. And to think that that air is not affecting us and the ways in which we take in that air and expel it isn't affecting us to me is just crazy of course mm-hmm. it's affecting us and and we have control over that just as we have control over what we eat or how much we exercise very cool it's so so well said and so here's the thing we just in this podcast we've given you, you know, i guess a handful of things to just instantly implement that'll get you started. Uh, the book comes out in May. Um, I know they always give, I think it's May 26, I think is what they're saying, but very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, you and I both know that means it might appear sometime before that if people have pre-ordered it. So, um, go ahead and, and do the pre-order, uh, to have that because by the time you've tried these handful of things out for, you know, a week or so, you're going to be convinced like I am that this makes a huge difference. And, and it's so easy to just kind of toss it aside and say, you know, I breathe. I don't have to think about how I breathe. But it's kind of like when I'm talking with people who um, suffer from depression or anxiety. And my first question is, are you exercising? How are you eating? Mm. Instead of, you know, what medication are you on? Because those simple things often are the ones with the biggest impact. And that includes how you're breathing through the day. So um, James's advice, uh, I'm I'm using it. <laughs> so there's several things I've learned and I've been interested in breathing for a long time. That's why I'm pushing. Uh, just during this time, it's a great time to be working on these, just this handful of things that can make a huge difference right off the bat. And then you can d- dive deeper. James has so much more in his book. Uh, but James, I, I'd, I'd so appreciate you taking the time to be here. Uh, I think this is such an important message for people all the time, but um, you didn't know this when you were writing it, but here we are in the middle of a time when people really need some calm and some help in um, controlling how their body's responding, and you've offered that. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. you 
listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thank you.